What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reefbum. I'm your host, Keith Perkelhammer. So today, I have the pleasure of welcoming back Dong Zo to the show. What's going on there, Dong? Very good. Thank you. How are you, Keith? I'm excellent. It's great to be back. Yeah, third time, right? Yep, third, third time. Third time uh, by popular demand. Everybody loves uh, loves having <laughs> Dong on the show here, so uh, we got to deliver. Thank we you. got to deliver. Um, a lot of people in the live stream. Thanks for joining us, folks. Um, just to um, give folks who don't know Dong some background, let me uh, let me provide his uh, very um, impressive bio. <clears throat> Dong has a PhD in chemistry and worked for several pharmaceutical companies in various therapeutic areas, including anti-inflammatory, cancer, pain management, and anti-infectious diseases. He developed his first interest in marine invertebrates when he was working as a postdoc at the University of Virginia. Dong is a scientist here, so we're, uh, we're lucky to have a scientist on the show tonight. Um, he has been in the aquarium hobby since he was in college, and he got into the saltwater hobby in 2004 after setting up his first marine fish tank for a Nemo, and after he discovered the Boston Reefer Society. Dong is a uh, sponsor of uh, the Boston Reefer Society, as uh, I am. So um, kudos to Boston Reefer Society. And um, also, about 10 years ago, he co-founded his first company on drug discovery. Soon after that, he was able to combine his passion for coral and his experience in the pharmaceutical industry and co-founded a new company, Eco Biomarine. This company focused on aquaculture coral for drug discovery and bone, graphic, bone grafting. His current company, Acro Garden Inc., was then founded to hold the intellectual properties in a study coral farming. Acro Garden is now his primary focus. The company produces aquacultured coral, mainly SPS for the hobby. And let me tell you, I, I, uh, I always mention this. Dong knows his stuff. He grows some kick-ass corals, especially uh, SPS. So if you're ever in the Boston area, you got to um, just reach out to Dong via the Boston Reefer Society, and, and you will... Uh, Definitely not regret visiting him. But before we start chatting with Dong, I want to thank the sponsors for this show, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate these companies supporting the show. And I also appreciate all you folks out there that are tuning in. Please spread the word and hit that like button. And while you're at it, subscribe to the channel. So um, I see a bunch of uh, people in the chat already. And as usual, I encourage comments and questions. We've got a lot of um, topics here, right, Don? We, uh, yes. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm not sure if we're going to get through to everything, but let me just uh, first show <clears throat> a uh, quick video you shot, a couple of videos you shot of your um, of your uh, tanks, I guess, uh, a couple of days ago. So, folks, this just kind of gives you an idea of what um, what Dong is growing out in terms of SPS. How many gallons do you have uh, again, Dong, in terms of total system volume? Uh, actually, uh, closer to 2,000. Wow. Yeah, they're mostly frag tanks so that they're uh, flat. Uh, they basically they have lots of surface area. So the way I look at the farming system is not about the gap, how many gallons it is. It's how many square feet hmm. of space to grow coral. So uh, that's uh, the 2,000 gallon is uh, mostly just frag tank. They're pretty shallow. So I got uh, plenty of space. Um, and to keep myself busy. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I've, I've been to your place. Uh, I've, I've been to your place a few times, and it's really impressive. I haven't been there recently, though. And I, I need you. to get back to uh, to visit you. And um, yeah, you've got a couple of display tanks, but it's pretty much you got um, you've got some coral 
you know, flats in terms of the frag tanks. And it's, uh, it's mind boggling how many corals you, uh, you've got in those tanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Collecting coral for all these years. So I'm mostly, uh, growing those, um, uh, classic corals. Um, yeah, I've gotten, yeah, I've got a lot of very, I've got, I've yeah. gotten a lot of classics from it, you know, I mean, um, what was like this tricolor that I got from you, um, uh, a few years ago? Oh, the Valida? It was, um, uh, by my, um, the, um, it's, it's a Validia. Um, what's, let me just, uh, the Larry Jackson. Yes. Yes. The Larry Jackson yeah. purple tip acro. <laughs> that is, a, yeah. that is a classic. Uh, so yeah, that, um, it's it's a uh, it's definitely a throwback in terms of what you have in, in, with, with acros. <laughs> so uh, yeah, a bunch of people in the um, in the uh, in the live stream. I see Reef Keeper, Paula, Pal, Amanda Mickley. What's up there, Amanda? Um, a lot of people commenting here. Uh, questions. All right. So I think Don, what uh, what we wanted to do was with the, we we've had a lot of um, conversations. I've had a lot of conversations with guests, mm -hmm. including yourself. I think in the past about um you know rtn and stn episodes and and yep. we've um we've discussed a lot about um you know potential treatments for those um kind of episodes that people would have with uh, with acropora and we focused a lot on you know pathogenic bacteria but you know before the show we we're talking you you mentioned to me you know there is a lot of other reasons why you're going to get rtn and mm -hmm. stn in terms of uh, sps so maybe we start there and then we kind of morph the discussion into the yep. um pathogenic bacteria stuff but um let's let's just kind of like talk about um you know I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me you know because i've used the oxalinic acid treatment that chris meckley uh, mm -hmm. recommended and i get a lot of people reaching out to me and asking about it and can i you know can i pass it along and all that stuff and I, so one of the first things i always ask people is like well did you run an icp test to see if something uh stood out you know i think it's important for people to understand that they shouldn't just all of a sudden go to you know doing an in-tank treatment with antibiotics if perhaps that's not the issue you know and and um mm -hmm. But what, let's so let's kind of start the conversation down with that, and with the okay. other possible causes of RTN and STN besides a bacterial infection. Great, I think you got a, a very important point there. Is that there are so many causes for STN and RTN. So uh, for people that uh, for new hobbyists, so STN that means that the tissue is slowly just uh, receded away, and RTN the quickly tissue just fly off and gone. So uh, that's what the RTN, STN we're talking about. And I think that um, uh, I would like to go into the STN first because it's an easier issue to resolve. And STN that uh, for many people who keep SPS, you, uh, you probably experience that. And also another thing is that I have uh, this uh, dead coral skeleton here. So for all the SPS keeper, well, if some coral die, that's normal. Seriously, I I've been asked a lot of questions about uh in a situation when people have uh, coral die, they text me, oh my god, my coral die. <laughs> I said, how many? Is a uh, uh, one? Okay, <laughs> don't worry about it. Seriously, if you if you have uh, twenty coral, one coral die, no big deal. Because I've seen this kind of situation over and over again, and I just want to um use this opportunity to let everybody know. Every reef keeper has tons of dead coral. I have a 120 gallon tank sitting there, all dead coral. Actually, I, I turned them into live rocks. <laughs> there you go. Or you could use them for uh, for yeah. media for a 
Yeah, yeah here, look, at, look at this pretty guy. Yeah, this, this guy uh, probably died about 10 years ago. And uh, that's a uh, uh, beautiful chorus. Well, now, now, now it came back uh, so, as a uh, guest on our show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm going to use this thing uh, later on. Yeah, it's a prop. Okay. So uh, there is another thing I want to point out is uh, coral bleaching and STN, RTN are entirely different things. So, so um, there are many occasions and people say, oh, my coral is uh, going through RTN. I said, well, can I see a photo? So when I look at the photo, I said, hmm, that is not really RTN because you can see the, the transparent uh, skin still on the coral, they're just bleaching. So bleaching means that the coral just uh, eject all its uh, symbiosis algae, lose its pigment, but he's still alive. So that is just bleaching. So it has chance to come back. But when you're talking about RTN or STN, the, the tissue, the meat on the coral basically just gone, exposing the uh, raw skeleton. In that case, the, that part of the coral is not coming back. So that's what we're talking about here is uh, uh, regarding this RTN tissue. and STN. When you have, yeah, the tissues. And when you have coral bleaching, that's an entirely different story. Uh, then we can talk about it uh, in the future. Um, regarding STN, which is pretty common, especially after LED is introduced, you see a lot more STN. STN has uh, basically have two types. One type is from the tip going down. So basically the bottom is still okay, but your tip got burned. Actually, most of the chance that when that happens, you should look at your light. Actually, light burn is a common cause. What about, um, what about, what about elk yeah. burn? I don't believe there's such thing as elk burn. So for, uh, first of all, there is really no biological reason for that, seriously. Because the alkalinity for saltwater hobby, actually for saltwater, for, uh, for studying ocean, alkalinity means the buffering capacity of the yep. seawater. Alkalinity is not an element, it's not a thing at all, it's a buffering capacity. All it does is to try to hold the pH of the seawater within a natural range which between 7.8 to 8.2. That's what alkalinity do. Higher alkalinity, that means that your water has a bigger, stronger buffering capacity. That means that if you happen to drop um, a, a cup of acid in your tank, when you have higher alkalinity, your pH will not uh, swing out of range easily. So basically, alkalinity just means how well your water holding the pH in that natural yeah. range. It is alkalinity is not a thing at all. So it's a capacity. So it also associate, uh, somewhat associated with the bicarbonate content. Basically the buffering system is the carbonate, bicarbonate, and carbon dioxide, the complex, all this uh, whole bowls of soup. So um, that's why I do not think elk burn is actually the thing because there's no biological reason to support the elk alkalinity burn theory. And also that I have seen that uh, throughout the years, I've seen my tank up and down all the time. For example, if my calcium reactor run out of carbon dioxide and suddenly it would drop from line nine to six. Not yeah, we, talk, we talked about that one episode yeah. that um, you really don't believe that it's a big deal to see big, big uh, nope. elk swings with a, uh, with a tank. Nope. And every time that happened, or sometimes that the, basically the feed pump of my calcium reactor just right. died. 
or clock, the line just jammed. So uh, the way I deal with uh, this kind of situation, I bump the alkalinity right back immediately. Not, not by hour, not by day, <clears throat> one shot from six to go back to nine. And sometimes that uh, the calcium reactor is interesting stuff. So sometimes depend on the, uh, some situation, you will put out way too much. And what happened is that my alkalinity happened, uh, sometimes it hit 11, 14. No big deal, nothing happened. And also we can, uh, uh, from uh, those coral that collected from the wild or shipped from wholesaler, they watered, alkalinity can as low as five, wow. six. Yeah, I grabbed them, dropped them in, in my tank, alkalinity average and nine, nothing happened. So from the biological standpoint and also from all the, the examples and experience I've seen, I do not believe there's such a thing as alkalinity. So, so that's my uh, point. So, of so um, Andy from uh, Lex Inverts is has uh, put a couple of comments, and uh, he said, in my opinion, whatever you call it, STN from the tips is more common at high alk, and he's also um, believes high alk and low nutrients is a is a combination. Do you um it, it, do you think that the, so you don't you don't uh, you don't think there's any relation in terms of the alkalinity? You think it's all driven by uh, lighting and LEDs, perhaps? I think it's mostly associated with lighting, or maybe that associated with bacterial uh, infection as well. That's uh, something we're going to talk about later on. But I do not believe that has anything to do with the alkalinity. Chris Meckley's in the house. What's up there, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I interrupted you there, Doug. (laughs) No problem at all. So that uh, I, I think that there's a lot of theory uh, throwing around there and actually dig into the scientific part to try to find any reason. So if there's any literature, any example, or any mechanism biologically to support the al- uh, alkalinity burn theory, I'm open-minded yep. for it. But there's nothing there. And it shouldn't so happen. So if in, in terms of lighting, let's say um, you've, yep. you've, um, you've had a, um, you know, you got an established reef tank, things are fine, right? Everything's going mm-hmm. well. And um, it's been established for a couple of years, no issues with the tank. And then all of a sudden you, um, you see some tips burning, you know, on, on mm-hmm. your acros. That's, you think, primarily driven by lighting if um, you haven't tweaked anything with the lights? Oh, I, I, I think that's probably the infection in that infection, case. Okay. So yeah, it's a bacterial infection or virus infection, or actually there's another cause for that. Your fish is nipping on it. <laughs> mm. That'll do it. Uh, fish is, yeah, the marine fish is an interesting thing. For example, that I have, uh, uh, what do you call it? A magnificent fox face. I had him that small. And then uh, I sold it to a guy. And then the guy raised the fish for one year into uh, something that big. And one day he called me. And that magnificent fox face for a whole year doesn't do any damage to his reef. But overnight, just rip all his doenses apart mm. and start eating them. So he have to bring him, bring the fish back to me. Yep, I got the fish back. I put it in my main tank. He immediately that wipe out all the patty. But for me, yeah, wonderful. there you go. I love Did that your favor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I'm trying to say is that fish can develop a taste. For example, that um, uh, like my uh, beloved Aptaceous eating filefish, yeah. for a long time, he's not interesting in the Xenia. But 
not long ago, suddenly I find out he's suddenly get, getting fatter, <laughs> bigger. And then I see my potent zinnia start to disappear. And then I saw him pecking on them, eating them. So fish can develop a taste to a certain coral. Despite that, uh, you haven't seen him uh, do any damage or pick on any coral for months, up to a year or two, and it can change just boom. One day, yeah. wake up. He said, I decided to like this aquapora and start yeah. eating it. So that can be a potential problem too, which is pretty common. So in, in terms of lighting, is it uh, people just tweaking their fixtures too often, you know, in terms of spectrum and intensity? Is that something that mm -hmm. um, you, uh, you're, you're essentially saying is uh, potentially causing the, uh, the burn tips on acros? Uh, that is a possibility. So uh, what happened is that a coral just does not like this kind of uh, tweaking of the LED light. So actually one of the major issue about LED, which is not an issue. So it allows user to adjust at will. And actually one, one interesting thing I want to bring up is that I went to a friend's house. He wanted to show me the tank. He wanted to show me that um, uh, how beautiful his coral is under blue yeah. color. He grabbed his phone, boom, the whole tank turned to blue. <laughs> and then is that, let me show you the sunlight. Boom. And then it's like a 10K. <laughs> like that. And so that can you see all the pink and purple color. And boom, now you go back to normal. And well, this kind of thing, despite that, uh, well, sometimes when you get used to this kind of thing, you didn't realize you suddenly change a lot of things. You suddenly increase your uh, intensity. And actually one interesting thing is that uh, it happened to me. I actually lost some coral because of that. One day I woke up, I walked down here, two of my LED, I sh shall not mention who, what okay. brand it is, suddenly turned into 100%. Just all automatically, what, from what, what was the- what, Yeah, you just lost What was the, what was the uh, percent before? I mean, uh, different channels. The percent before is that, uh, so the white channel is only like 15%. Ooh. It's LPS tank. And then the blue channel and the UV and the violet, uh, they are around the 50%-ish. And suddenly it, it went, went down here, see him lost his lot, both light lost the program. And then it go to 100%. Eesh. So I lost a bunch of hammer. I actually lost some yellow hammer, which is pretty bizarre. Um, there, uh, so uh, just, just a very short period of life shock and can cause quite a bit of damage to that. Um, the good thing is that it didn't happen to my SPS uh, grow out tank for this because I do not use this kind of LED on my Precious Acropora. <laughs> we won't mention names, right? <laughs> yeah, she shall not mention names. Actually, it can happen to many uh, LED manufacturers. So, um, and, and also those uh, fixtures are not, uh, it's pretty old, the pretty previous generation kind of thing. So it's not big So, deal. all right. Um, but you just uh, use so, it. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, besides, uh, you know, so we're, we're talking about, potential causes for RTN and STN. And um, so, so from the, the top, top down. down, right. <laughs> Do we want to uh, shift now from the bottom up? Okay. Yes, actually that's very important. Uh, many times for STN, the uh, uh, slow tissue necrosis is actually caused by shadowing, which is uh, uh, now is pretty commonly known about this issue. And for example, uh, on my, uh, in my tanks that lit by T5, I, I basically never see the, the STN happening because of the, sh uh, the shadow, because of good this uh, lighting issue. Yeah, good coverage. 
I want to uh, that, that, now I want to use the prop <laughs> if you don't mind. So I want to dim down the the ring light because the uh, the yeah. in front of me is a gigantic yeah. ring. Okay. Now, this is a LED flashlight. <laughs> so this now look at that. So when you have LED lights are very directional, you can see the shadow yep. that the cast by the coral itself. So the coral is basically shading itself. And when the, uh, the, the part that does not receive light, they tend to slowly recede. When the, the part that uh, doesn't get enough light, they, when they recede, they're actually basically taking the, the healthy tissue with them. So, and you can see that in order to overcome the shadow, you got to have physical light coming uh, at that direction to illuminate at that angle so that you can see the shadow start to become yep. uh, minimized. Uh, so that means that you need to have LED. Uh, LED is a point source light installer. So you need to have a light here, 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 and here. That's why panel kind of LED actually is very useful and it's more suitable for um, Acropora. For this coral actually has a 3D structure. If you are dealing with zoensis, it doesn't matter. Those things are flat. It doesn't <laughs> cast a shadow to shade itself. And now, what happens if I turn on the ring light, which is a very, uh, it's a whole ring. You can see that. No shadows. So uh, under the ring light, the light coming from all the direction, physical light coming from all the direction. You can see the shadow is being yep. minimized. It's that simple. So that actually you come down to the a very fundamental thing about avoid shadowing is the light physically has to be bigger than the coral itself. So uh, if you have a one little light there, it does not solve the problem. But then here's comes the question, what happened to put on a diffuser? Okay, that is a scotch tape. It's a diffuser. Let's do this. I love, I love the props I there, Don. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I put a diffuser on my LED light. I turn off my ring light. Now, I will show you how wonderful the diffuser works. No, it doesn't. <laughs> diffuser on LED does not solve the shadowing issue at all. But what the diffuser is good at now here comes another terminology that uh, uh, we talked about a long time ago. It's called the disco ball effect. <laughs> so uh, the, a diffuser on LED actually is there to minimize the disco ball effect is by blending different color of LED diode, LED chips, to blend them into the, uh, one single color. So that is what a diffuser works. The diffuser is not there to minimize shadow, is to improve the blending of different spectrum. So uh, because I've seen many people confused about what the diffuser actually work. So I see people buying diffuser on the LED, try to minimize shadow, it does not work. So the bottom line is that your physical light have to be bigger than the coral is under. That is the way to eliminate shadow. That comes down to my favorite light of T5 is the ATI T5. Right. So for matter of fact that uh, uh, when I watch one of the good, uh, wonderful live stream from Bowery Supply, Ryan- Careful now, they're a sponsor, Doug. <laughs> well, yeah, after the, well, 
uh, Ryan actually uh, said a very okay. interesting thing. He said uh, they uh, they saw about at a certain period of time they only saw about five hundred leash of the ATI fixture, but they saw about about two million or something like that for the ATI ball because that the the T five is here to stay, and because the people are not replacing the fixture but they're replacing the ball. They actually gotcha. they utilize the ball. Yeah, one of my oldest ATI T5 is 15 years old now. The dimmable ATI oh, wow. T5, 15 wow. years old. I just replaced all the ball. I stuck a par meter underneath it, just like new. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, a, a couple of things. So one, 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 I guess, negative thing about also using a diffuser is that um, you will lose some, some intensity in that light, right? Because it's diffusing. Oh, you, you lose, lose a, a lot, lot of intensity. Of intensity. Um, yeah, you, you can lose up to 40%. Wow. So, all right, a couple of uh, yeah. things. John Morgan, thank you very much for that super uh, chat. Uh, very generous, John. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Chris ACI, Dong, you are like my clone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um well, but, but Chris, you have much more hair. Than yeah, I that. yeah, that's true. <laughs> Me too. Um, so, uh, Ghoul's comments. I have halides and still deal with STN. So, can can also mm -hmm. you know not only can shading, but can also <clears throat> lack of flow. Right, if, if you're starting to get mature colonies uh, and they get shaded, also you start losing some uh, circulation in there. Is that uh, in a combination with shading could cause the uh, the STN as well? Uh, uh, yes, I uh, know. Uh, actually, I want to answer uh, his question. His very interesting question. If if you are using a single-ended metal halide, if a if a gigantic uh, reflector, then you probably shouldn't have much of the shading issue. But if you use a double-ended halide with a small reflector, and actually that casts a pretty hard shadow <laughs> as well. So that's why that if I want to use the uh, metal halide. Um, I would prefer to have T5 on the side of the metal halide, so that expand the coverage. For matter of fact, one of the uh, coral farm, which is a very famous coral farm, I shall not mention the name, it's very good what they're doing. Uh, what they're doing is that uh, they use a light fixture that's wider than the tank themselves. Huh. For example, if the frag tank is, is 18 inch front to back, the fixture is 24 inch. Just throw it out as an example. So in that case, we're talking about T5. A T5 even wider than a tank. Wow. <laughs> so in that case, that the coral grows very well, no shadowing, and basically here comes another important thing. Uh, why uh, there is something called the microfragging. If you do a Google search, many years ago there is something there's a technology for grow SPS called the microfragging. That means that it chopped the coral into very, very tiny segments. Then the combined growth is better than just have a one single colony and growing out. Uh, the reason for that is that if you chop the SPS into small colonies, small frags, every area of the colony receives good light and mm -hmm. good flow. When you have a colony, the same, especially tabling acro, the branch in the middle no matter what, they got uh, the flow is lower, and they got blocked by the uh, the outside branch, and also then the the they will no matter what light you do, they do shade themselves. Uh, I, I remember a branch. video that Jake Adams did, just doing exactly what you just said. He he went into a a colony that looked like uh, that dead colony you you uh, held up there, and it had 
it, it very, um, you know, the, the branches were very close together and he was going in there and mm -hmm. kind of thinning out the branches so there could be more flow yes. through in, inside yeah. of the, uh, the coral. Yep. And also the more light be able to shine on the polyps. So that, uh, that is the reason why this so-called microfragging works is to expose every single polyp in good light and good flow so that they get the maximum potential to grow for every single polyps. So that is the idea behind it, and it actually works. Um, just looking at some of the comments. John Wright, hi from England. Love your video, Keith, but Dong is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, frag doubles. Uh, uh, Raleigh's Reef Ranch, ORA microfrags. Every time the frag doubles, they cut them in half and have been doing it for years. Interesting. Yep. Um, another person's asking Chris uh, Sturgis, what about LED T5 hybrid? What are, you, what are your thoughts on, on um, an LED T5 hybrid? I think it's a very good uh, system, but I have a slightly different idea about that. So right now that we are supplementing T LED with T5, the way I prefer to do is supplement T5 with yeah. LED. So the primary driving force will be the T5, but T5 has one major issue. It does not pop. The color is pretty flat. <laughs> yeah. So that is, uh, and also that you get no shimmer. Uh, that's, but that is a side issue. So by supplementing T, uh, T5 with LED, you get good growth. And also you bring some of the pop back. But actually the, <laughs> the, the, like the aquatic life, those T5 fixture, I think they're great. So the other geesemen, they they are great. So basically, you, uh, it doesn't really matter, uh, what kind of lighting source you have, as long as they cover the whole area. So I actually did an experiment. I got um a bunch of LED bar. And then I lined them up. Of course, in the middle is a rebreather fixture, but the tank is twenty four inch. The rebreather LED is about twelve inch. So I uh, actually, uh, Rebreather gave me a, a custom bracket. So I hang four uh, LED strips on the side. So the whole tank is edge to edge. And guess what? And I measured alkalinity the next day. My alkalinity consumption goes up 0.5 dKH. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and all the coral actually looks uh, happier. Because that they got uh, very even lighting. So then, and then I did another thing. I take all of these LED off. I pop an eight bulb, eight tube, ATI T5. It's exactly uh, almost close to 24 inch on that frag tank. Wow. So that T5 with eight tubes basically covering the whole area. But on top of that, I mount the rebreather LED <laughs> strip on the side. Well, and then guess what? And then right now the average alkalinity daily consumption you jump up approximately about another 0.5 dk that's impressive right because you you basically you know measure the consumption of your of your alkalinity yes. to kind of determine whether the you know that the, the health and, and um um the growth, the growth of your corals yep yep yeah um and the system at back here this system uh is only about 600 something gallon the whole system it consume about four to five dkh a day is that much? So every time I change the calcium reactor media, I hook up my dosing pump. Because <laughs> just for just for you, these you two just hours. Need, wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got you got some yeah. uh, you got some very hungry corals there, uh, Dong. 
oh yeah, my calcium reactor, the, there's no, uh, the CO2 is not bubbling. It's a stream of CO2 inside a, a bubbler. And also that the output of that calcium reactor, like fire hose, it's a stream. It's not even drops at all. So that's that, right. That's your primary source. You're not using, um, you're not using any cockwasser. You're not using any, uh, um, or are you using cockwasser? Yeah, oh, you I'm are. Okay. okay. Actually, yeah, okay. yeah, I am. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, um, because that even with my calcium reactor dripping like fire hose, it still cannot keep up the demand. So I test my calcium reactor's output every day. So it's average at 40, 40 DKH Whoa. output of that calcium reactor, pulling like a fire wow. hose. And then can uh, barely can maintain this, this system around uh, 8.5 DKH. So the extra DKH actually coming from cut water. Ah. But I do a, a lazy way. Uh, so I just, because the system is big enough, I just pour cut water <laughs> into it. <laughs> wow. Um, how, how, uh, how often are you going through media in your calcium reactor? I mean, how, how often does you have to? Every, every two, two months, months, the two chamber will yeah. dry. It totally yeah. melt down. Um, all right. So we've, we've talked about a couple of um, other possible causes of RTN and STN mm -hmm. and um, on, on SPS. So let's get into the discussion, uh, Dong, about the pathogenic um, bacteria and, and um, you know, what signs people should potentially be looking for if that mm -hmm. is an issue with the tank. You know, I, I've seen it firsthand in terms of, um, you know, certain things in, in my tank. It's been, you know, RTN, STN. I've noticed um, poor polyp extension, loss of color in certain corals. Are, um, are all these, um, you know, warning signs and, and are other things that people should be looking for to um to kind of um you know determine that it is a bacterial infection that is causing the losses of corals i think that yeah i, I think that your observation is right on point about that uh, losing color and um, and, and let, let me, let me that, i'm sorry to interrupt the one thing yeah. that uh I, I think we need to say also to um to rule out our pests right you need to make sure that it's not yeah, pests yeah, yes, that you don't yes. have aggravating flatworms yeah. you don't have any parasitic copepods that are causing the issues and so it's yes. that that um that certainly is is something and then uh icp testing and we talked about that before right you gotta yeah. like um you want to make sure that you cover all the bases before you kind of say all right it looks like i've got a bacterial infection mm -hmm. the um before kind of taking more drastic measures and uh uh in terms of bacterial infection, actually, that uh, many coral, uh, different coral, they have a different resistance about uh, to a certain bacteria, and also that uh, even though you see a beautiful tank, everybody looks happy in your tank, they actually have a different tolerance of different bacteria. So if you see one coral start to uh, losing color or doesn't look very good, my suggestion is that to yank the coral out and treat the coral itself instead of treating, treating everybody. Because that when you're adding any antibiotic or antifungal reagent in your tank, it affects the whole ecosystem. So you're basically punishing everybody because one guy is sick. <laughs> so you sh uh, my preferred way is to isolate the sick guy and treat the, that coral itself instead of treating the whole tank. That go back to the one thing is that if you see a coral get a light burn, Move that coral away from the light instead of adjusting the spectrum or intensity. Because if you're doing any changes that can impact the whole tank, you're basically punishing everybody. What, um, and 
what, yep. what, so I guess my question is, let, let's say you've got established colonies. Let's say you've got 30 mm-hmm. colonies in the tank. They're all well encrusted. Yep. And, um, you know, you got two that are showing some de- definite signs of, uh, of stress, but you can't get them out of the mm-hmm. tank because they're fully encrusted on the rock work. Uh, in that case, there's really not much thing you can do about it. Because that, um, think, uh, if you want to rescue one guy, can potentially uh, stress out 50 of them. So just in my opinion, it's not worth it. In that case, I will get a bone cutter get in there and cut it off as much as possible. Whatever that cannot be cut off, unfortunately, they're on their own. <laughs> so, yeah, and then I will try to save that part that I can cut off and go through a bunch of dip and put them in a frag tank and look at it carefully. So um, one important thing actually uh, come from the, uh, uh, my background of anti-infectious disease is that, uh, for example, if uh, in, in, um, uh, if a town, you, you got 10 people sick, okay? You don't bombard the whole town, spray the whole town with antibiotic. And then uh, you isolate those people and treat them. If they refuse to leave their home, uh, you probably should go in there and what if, what if you got out. what if you got seventy percent of the population has got signs of the disease? What uh, oh then you should do, do, do the, treatment. All right, so let's let's talk let's yeah. talk like yeah, that exactly. assumption. Let's let's go with yeah. that assumption. Okay. And uh, go ahead. Very important sign about the bacterial infection is that well, come here, come at that core again. He probably died from bacterial infection, maybe. So uh, one interesting sign you can see the telltale sign. Is that you can see that uh, the tissue is tightly stuck to the skeleton. A healthy SPS, it looks a little bit, uh, use a word to describe it, it's a little bit puffy. Of course, at that time, you won't see the polyp extension. The polyp is all retracted right. in. But uh, you're not looking at the polyp, you're looking at the, the, the tissue on the, the skin, on the coral. So a bacterial infection or virus infection. Uh, has a very clear sign that uh, the skin, just like a very thin layer, is thick on it. It seems like there's no water between the skin and the skeleton. So for healthy coral, basically there's a layers of water between the the uh, the, the tissue and the, and the skeleton. So it, it looks puffy. The way the puffy is, yep. is the um, yeah that, that that's, So uh, when you get infection, you just strung in so tightly collapsed into it that's one sign the second sign is that actually you, you um what you can see that for bacterial infection they're more more patchy they're not uniform for example that certain uh if the whole coral is uniformly turned white you have a bleaching event oh, so if the skin is but, patchy then that's a sign of a bacterial infection yeah you, 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 uh, well of course provided is already ruled out that i like agro eating flatworm uh, red bug or this kind of parasite, and then uh, you don't see any biomark or anything. But the thing that you can see that the discoloring, sometimes that the, the very pale color, a patch. So sometimes they call it white band disease. They when they develop into this kind of uh, a bigger patch. So uh, that is a very clear sign of bacterial infection. Is because you can see the different discoloring on the skin and different area. They're not very uniform. And then your skin is shrunken and like just like a glove on your finger, just so right. tight. Yeah, that is a is a very clear sign about that. 
Uh, and also sometimes that uh, bacterial infection, uh, well, some people tell me that uh, you will see sliming on the coral, but yeah. it's not necessarily. I didn't notice that when I had my uh, situation. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, uh, so uh, basically the most uh, telltale sign is the shrunken skin. And, the and skin I, wrap I noticed also sometimes. like uh, reduced polyp extension. Oh, at that time that you probably won't see any polyp yeah, extension. Yeah. So uh, for a healthy a coral, uh, well, of course, some coral does not right. have polyp extension like the Jason Fox Fox Flam. There's no the very tiny little polyp. Red Dragon, you barely can see any right. polyps on it, except at night. So uh, another important thing is that you are not looking at an exopolyp because sometimes that even the, the coral has a bacterial infection, the exopolyp still out at night. And you're looking at the, the, the polyp on, on the every coral line, except the exo one. So my cat is going to join your live stream. <laughs> Dong has five cats <laughs> running around. <laughs> yeah, five cats. <laughs> so Dong, let's all right. Go so ahead. That, Let, yeah. go, go ahead and finish. Yeah. Uh, so in that case, that uh, uh, the next thing you want to do is look at the coral next to this colony, the infected colony, to see if they have any signs of infection. So for for example, uh, if you see the uh, close by colony. Is a, a which is not the same species as this one. You might have a pest or packing by fish issue. It's not really a bacterial infection in that case. Uh, but if you see that uh, the colony around it is all looks healthy, and only this poor guy looks really sad, yeah, very likely you got a bacterial infection. So, and of course we have to rule out the, the those uh, fish packing right. on coral kind right. of issue. That's always will induce the similar right. symptom. So, all right, let's let's talk about um, <clears throat> the use of oxalinic acid and 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 cipro. Mm -hmm. so, so, these are like you know they can be used as dips, but you know let's talk about in tank treatment. So, you know my understanding with the uh, pathogenic bacteria like uh, Arco um, uh, Actor is that uh, Arcobacter is that um, the cipro and the oxalinic acid will um, go after these gram-negative bacteria and kill them. So, you know, it, it will go yes. after the bad guy bacteria, but will not harm the good guy bacteria. That's that's my understanding. But uh, go ahead. Okay. So first of all, that um, uh, Cipro and also oxalinic acid, they're all sort of like a, a broader spectrum antibiotic, and they're mostly effective, very effective on gram-negative gram bacteria. Here's the interesting uh, thing. Most of the bacteria in the ocean are gram-negative. Just give us a little tutorial in terms of gram-negative versus gram-positive. Okay. What's the difference? Okay. So the gram-negative bacteria has extra cell membranes. Just think about it that the gram-negative bacteria is harder to overcome than a gram-positive. Gram-positive and negative it just means that when you take a bacteria and stain with certain kind of uh, coloring reagent, the gram-positive bacteria, because the stain can get inside easier, so that it show the color. So that's gram positive. Yeah. And then the gram negative bacterial uh, has a cell membrane and cell wall. So that means that only means that the, the medicine it had a harder time to okay. penetrate it, to kill it. So in that case, that uh, the stain doesn't go through. So in uh, uh, just a uh, yeah, easy way to understand it and that the gram negative bacterial is harder to kill than gram positive. But here's the thing is that uh, most of the bacteria in marine environment are gram negative. Uh, now, then, uh, including your cyanobacteria, 
And a lot of uh, the chemi uh, clean is um, uh, uh, is is which is a gram mostly target gram positive bacteria. So I got got uh, some people ask me why that gram positive drug work on this gram negative bacteria. But here's the interesting thing: all the antibiotic is uh, there's something called spectrum. So it's not as uh, it's not absolute. For example, that only gram positive, uh, only gram negative, and some antibiotic work better on gram positive and uh, some work better on both. So uh, the chemiclean, it happened, well, despite it's mostly used for gram positive bacteria, but it happened to cover the cyanobacterial as a gram negative bacteria. It's an oddball. So that's why that uh, uh, the, cyanobac uh, the chemiclean can kill the cyanobacteria. But here comes an interesting thing. Interesting thing is that I remember Jake Adams you talk about those things can be clean. Right, on, on a, a prophylactic basis, right? Every every, yes. like every okay. month. Uh, I think that he can get away, he could get away with that. It's because that can be clean only kills very small uh, uh, number, a uh, small uh, number of uh, gram-negative bacteria. And while the the most of the bacteria in marine environment gram-negative. So that the chemical clean yeah, is basically wiping out some of the cyanobacteria and maybe take, uh, take away several other kinds, but it doesn't do a major harm to the whole bacterial colony. So that's why when he dose it every month and the tank still running fine. So, um, so my take is that it basically the chemical clean is not doing too much in there, ex except the suppressing some of the cyano. Um, that is, but that does not mean that people should dose antibiotic into the tank prophylactically. As uh, um, for any use of antibiotic, very important thing is that do not use antibiotic when it's not necessary. That is an absolute golden rule. The reason for that is that bacteria is very smart. They mutate. They can overcome the drug that uh, that come there to 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 treat them. For example. Uh, many of the antibiotics, they don't wipe out certain bacteria. They always have a little bit left. And that, for example, that 10,000 uh, bacteria number X, now see the antibiotic running down. Okay. Uh, so uh, 9,999 uh, 9, of them die, one left. And now this guy will mutate rapidly and to find a way to overcome that antibiotic that you shower them with. And now this guy, uh, you no longer be effective by the antibiotic you, you give them and he will multiply rapidly. For example, uh, marine bacteria can double their colony size in about four to eight wow. hours. Think about it. that's yeah. very rapid. And they mutate so quickly, some of the bacteria will take overnight. It's yeah, scary it's stuff. It's, it's really scary stuff. Yes. It's like... That, that actually, that's what the super bug we're talking about for human, is that we are running out of antibiotic. So if you keep prophylactically treating people with antibiotic, and one day, actually that day can come very soon, that we have no antibiotic to use. And now all of these that's, that's, that, that's uh, right. That, yeah. That's why you know I've always heard that um, you know in terms of humans, right? If you're uh, if you're always taking yes. antibiotics, it's not a good thing because eventually you will um, become kind of uh, it won't have an effect on on the um, 
on the problem that you're yep. you're having at hand. So you become immune to them. And actually, that's only one thing. And what happened that the bacteria, that the super bacteria in this person's body, infected the other guy, and now the other guy lose all the capacity to fight this bacteria because no drug is available. And now when this superbox spreading around, which is already happened throughout the world, and then now we end up like uh, back 100 years ago, there's really no treatment for this kind of disease. People are dying from common bacteria infection. So actually in a salt water environment, you can happen to have uh, uh, make some coral that eventually having going, to, going down this route and become super bug infect, infected and no cure for that. And this super bug is going to spread around everybody's tank by fracturing, selling fracks, Don, you're, uh, water, you're blowing my mind then, here. Yeah. Um, Basically, this is a very fundamental thing about antibiotic use. Right. You, you're, you're causing it. You're, studied, you're, 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 yeah. you're messing with Mother Nature. That's uh, that's what's going on. Um, just a couple of quick things. Yes. Um, Rob of State New York, thank you very much for the super chat. Comment is great. Chat, my brain may explode. <laughs> um, uh, Andy, uh, so uh, one other thing, any yeah, uh, comments, sorry, sorry. Uh, the phenomenon that Dong describes is much less likely if you use antibiotics as dips. The danger is repeated in, yes, in tank treatments true. is the danger. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's why that uh, my recommendation is that anytime you want to use antibiotic, you can use, uh, you should use them in dip and use them in a QT tank. And then after the dip is gone, uh, I don't know if you should pour it down to the sink, but um, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, probably it's okay. Um, then you just remove this environment entirely. So that means that this antibiotic only temporarily exists in this dip or in the, right. in the QT right. tank. And also another thing is that all the antibiotics, they target multiple bacteria. For a matter of fact, uh, the most of the antibiotic on the market, one of the criteria for a new antibiotic to come into the market is how much different kinds of bacteria can kill. So the newer antibiotic replace older one because the newer one can kill more, can kill different types, more types and more completely. So uh, that, that's, uh, that means that it's a total wipeout, that kind of thing. Of course, the ideal antibiotic is to wipe out every single one. Right. But that is a entirely different uh, story. What, what about... So, um, yeah. so my, my question is, uh, so I've used uh, oxalic acid as an in-tank treatment mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, I was having a lot of RTN and, R and, and STN episodes in the uh, in the tank, my peninsula tank. And, and um, you know, it was going on over a few months and it was just kind of like, um, you know, every now and then it would happen and then it started happening more. And then, um, you know, and then I just decided to hit the tank with the uh, oxalic acid. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, two months later, knock on wood, everything is looking pretty, um, pretty darn good. Everything's looking very healthy. What... Um, what are the um, so is is the danger that longer term things could turn sour or is it um, just something where if you do too many of those in tank treatments then you're playing with fire you know in terms of using the cipro and the oxalic acid you know for the in tank treatment I guess my question is what um, given that those you know um, antibiotics target the gram negative bacteria right mm -hmm. what is the collateral damage to the other bacteria in that tank that are good guy bacteria actually they they all die 
they all die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They basically need an antibiotic. They, they, uh, for those like Cipro and also oxalic acid, it's not they, they don't tell good guy or bad guy at all. So they just kill most of them. But of course, but there is uh, you brought up interesting thing. If you treat your tank, you get a whole tank treatment. Once a while, it's not a big issue. For example, that uh, if you treat it, uh, your tank, it looks good. After one month, you treat it again. No big, no big deal. Well, what I'm talking about is the right, right, right. Re, 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 yeah, that right. is the problem. Okay. So, for example, that most of antibiotic, it, it goes about seven days course. So basically, after you, if you have to continuously dose and antibiotic in your tank for more than seven days, you you should give it a break. So, um, and then if you dose dose the treatment a seven day long, six or seven day. And then your coral gets better. Then you should stop doing the antibiotic. And then if the next month things come back again, you can heat it right. again. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's just like yeah. you got to. When everybody's happy, right. don't exactly. hit it. Exactly. <laughs> so um, you know, Chris Mickley, you know, had um, you know, we we uh, we we talk and and I've had him on the show and and um, you know, so he he um, he turned me on to the oxalic acid. He um, he was against using Cipro, but uh, you and I had a conversation off air. About about the two, yeah. and and you uh, said there really is no yeah. difference between Cipro and oxalic acid; that they're pretty much one and the same. Is that true? Yeah, oh, it is true because uh, you told me that. So uh, I guess yeah, yeah Cipro is uh, basically is, is a newer generation of oxalic acid. Uh, they're very similar. So the Cipro has a little bit better spectrum, which means that it kills a little bit more different types of bacteria. Cipro is more broad. Yeah, it's slightly, it's not like a day and night kind of thing. So basically, if you look at the structure, the Cipro and oxalic acid, actually Cipro was developed on top of oxalic acid. So the advantage of Cipro actually behave better in the human body as oral drug. So if you shot them through IV like this bloodstream, it probably doesn't make too much a difference. Um, but when you, uh, because the oral pill is a preferable way to do it in US, <laughs> The way in Europe, there's a different story, right? People from Europe have a different way other than shot it in an arm and eat it in a, uh, by mouth. But in Europe, there's another popular way. I'm, uh, just ask the people <laughs> from Europe if that actually works very well. <laughs> so in U.S., and people like to take oral drug. They just want to drink it down. People do not like needles. So the Cipro actually works better than oxalic acid when you take as oral drug gotcha. for humans. But now if you use as aquarium treatment, uh, they're pretty comparable. It's not really that much a difference there. Uh, they won't, the Cipro won't, probably won't do much more harm than oxalic acid does. And one of the interesting things is that uh, many antibiotics, when they retire from human use, they become uh, going for treating animals. Okay. And they become cheaper, uh, readily available, especially when you ha- when you're dealing with animal business, and oxalic acid probably is uh, much easier to come by, um, and also less paperwork or whatever kind of thing. So I think that you can use both. What? So if you have one or other, just use them. What What about uh, witch hazel? Oh, okay. <laughs> witch hazel. Ah, you've got some. Yes, I've been trying that. Okay, which hazel is an interesting thing. Of course, that uh, at the beginning, I a little bit say, what? Which hazel? I think the name is kind of <laughs> wacky, you know? It really doesn't 
give you much confidence. In yeah, it. I know. Especially it's more like herbal. They need medicine. to rebrand that. So that, yeah. But witch hazel is actually is a well-studied kind of uh, uh, medicine. So what's in here is about 14% of alcohol. And the rest of this aqueous is water solution from, from an herbal extract. And what's in this witch hazel, uh, actually there's something called a polyphenol. It basically is a gigantic molecule with a lot of arm on the edge of the molecule. What it does is that you, you like to grab on like metal and grab just a scavenger protein, that kind of thing. So besides uh, what, what complex mechanism, what it does is that it, it does have some of the antibiotic and uh, uh, bacterial activity. That's for sure. It is a polyphenol. It is an, an old school antibiotic. Actually, when uh, in, in the middle age, actually, well, we, we, we shouldn't say that middle age Just has no the antibiotic. Name hazel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that it works. It's antibiotic. It's pretty mild, natural antibiotic. And also that it can be uh, uh, anti, uh, it's an insecticide in certain extent. But why it doesn't classify as an insecticide? Because that witch hazel actually kills certain plants faster than the <laughs> insect. <laughs> so that's why that they, they shouldn't class, uh, 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 that's why it's not called an insecticide. Uh, but it does kill the insect. But unfortunately, that if, if people want to use it as an insecticide, your plan go first. <laughs> so that's the reason. So basically, it's a complex uh, a groups of chemicals in here for real. It is antibiotic, and it does kill bugs. And also, it has a very interesting phenomenon. And people used to use this witch hazel to smooth out their wrinkle. What happened is that when you apply this witch hazel on the skin, your skin just tighten up. Let me give you one example. If you buy a duck, a raw duck from supermarket, you open up the wrapping, you can see the duck skin is pretty wrinkly. Yeah. wrinkly. Yep. And now you, you got a cup of boiling hot water. You pour on this poor duck, the skin puff up, becomes smooth. Just exactly like when you apply with hazel <laughs> on your wrinkle. And that is an interesting phenomenon. Because what happened is that you make the, uh, try to imagine flatworm is like a, a skin. You apply, when you hit witch hazel, you actually, the, you, con you just contract. When you shrink, it fell off the uh, coral. For example, that um, uh, like those uh, micro uh, starfish, the, uh, especially the uh, brittle yep. star, and like sea spider, all that kind of thing. The witch hazel actually works very well because that what happened is that they all shrunk and, and then just fall off the coral. Seriously. So uh, I actually test this thing for a while. Uh, I have this uh, Michael Brito starfish, the tiny yeah, yeah. starfish, the soft one, not the hard one, not the Australian star. And I can see them just shrunk up, leave, become rigid and fall off and die. So... Um, that is one of the, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, it works against uh, like the worms or something like that. It's basically it's a physical phenomena before they get poisoned to death. But it's just a hypothesis. Don't quote me on that. This is not scientific. Not, uh, yeah. You haven't this done is just, scientific yeah. research on that no, one. Yet. No, 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 uh, no. Because there's a lot of scientific research paper on this thing. Seriously, I'm surprised about how much uh, paper on the witch hazel. Really? They use on, yeah, it is. It's kind of interesting. And it has been studied quite well. 
So the witch hazel actually is not really a witchcraft. It's just a bottle of uh, uh, natural, mild antibiotic, and also uh, insecticide. So, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, it do contain about 14% of alcohol. And if you bought the wrong version, it can up to like 40, 80% alcohol. That's absolutely yeah. no good. So that is why that using the TN Dickinson's, that brand, which is uh, pretty well used on the internet, on um, uh, like Reef to Reef, lots of people try it. Okay, so I think it works, but- What, what one, are people using it mostly uh, for? I think they use them as a coral dip. And some people actually talking about use them in tank, but I strongly against them. Escape I using think uh, Mike Cleddon used that uh, one point in an in tank uh, treatment, which hazel. Uh, he might have. When you use them, in, yeah, you, you could be. But I, I think the moon moonshiner message, and then he's talking yeah. about something uh, that yeah. in tank. But there is a problem about using this thing in tank. First of all, it's fourteen percent alcohol. You are, the first thing you do actually a carbon dosing your tank. That's for real, 14% alcohol. If you're dosing vinegar, your vinegar is a maximum 5%. Now this thing is 14%. Yeah. So you're supercharging uh, your bacteria. You, oh yeah, exactly. And then if, if you already have a low nutrient issue, like your, your, your nitrate phosphate already bottom up, you dose reef hazel, oh yeah, great. <laughs> that is not helping, that's one thing. Second thing is that- oh, right. uh, um, I, I don't uh, mean to interrupt, yeah. but it's just the light bulb. The light no, bulb no problem, just came no in my head, right? I think I've been looking at the chat, and uh, correct correct me, okay. folks, if I'm wrong. But the the reef moonshiners method, right? The um, if you're getting RTN, STN, the witch hazel is part of that um, part of that solution. I think that's um, what people are saying, right? Yeah. Uh, if, if, well, if people can like uh, say yes or no to, to what I just said. Uh, I, I think that it actually, if you use a dip, it helps the STN recovery. It does. I try it. I, I have a coral being at, at, at the edge. Actually, it's one of uh, the, the the purple, uh, what the, the Larry Jackson. Larry Jackson, purple too. Because, yeah, it was sitting at the edge of the tank. So uh, then for some reason, and then part of it is covered with detritus because of the, the that particular location. I find, I pulled it out. I found out that basically the 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 bottom part is all gone. So I dip them with rich hazel and then the st uh, the stn stuff. Yeah, I uh, folks at the but not in uh, folks were uh, confirming what I just said that um, the uh, the witch hazel is part of that reef moonshiners uh, method in terms of the uh, treating the um, rtn stn in the tank. Um, what did I want to? But I I highly recommend do not do the do. Uh, do it in a tank. What happened right. is that which hazel, the 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 polyphenol, and that's uh, the tannins, uh, the major compound in it. It complex to your trace element. It complex to is is like a metal scavenger. I well, uh, well if uh, the different metal has different affinity. So of course that uh, the in a good situation you just go complex to your calcium, magnesium, precipitate out and doing nothing. Worst part is that if you well, uh, this is this is a part I, I haven't get in uh get a deep understanding into it yet. Is that what kind of uh, rate this this kind of compound complex to different metal? I don't know, but you can potentially complex to your trace element and yank them out and precipitate them out and also become inactive. Mm. 
So basically, if you don't trace element, I will recommend probably don't try it. Don't dose witch hazel. Yeah, work against yourself. And the other thing is that the witch hazel has contains so many different type of compound in it. When you dose in a tank, they it's hard to predict. Right. It's really hard to predict what kind of effect. And also the, the other thing is the thing about it, the, the large amount of bacteria in the tank, in floating in the water column. When you, you dose like 10 mils of witch hazel in your 100 gallon tank, it probably all the ingredients will be all got consumed by all the bacteria. You never even reach the coral. But if you use it as a dip, the compound in the witch hazel has more chance to actually reach the coral tissue that you put in your tank. So let's let's talk about that, uh, Dong. You know, in terms of dips, you know, we, we you know we we've been talking yep. a lot about in tank treatments and stuff like that for bacterial infections. But let's say you've got um, an infected coral, and um, well, let, let, here let's start with this. Is it possible? Is it possible mm -hmm. for one hobbyist to pass along a um, coral pathogen, a bad bacteria, to another in water? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So should we be thinking as hobbyists now? So. You know, um, it's it's common, right? If you get a new uh, frag in from somebody you don't really know in terms of how uh, what kind of pests they have to dip that uh, frag in in um, bear or um, potassium chloride, which I know you're not you're not a fan of. We, that's another conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, then then you know. So you know, my quarantine uh, system. I've got a little twenty gallon quarantine tank set up, and I do several um, you know dips for uh, flatworms. You know, over a few weeks, mm -hmm. once a week, and then I also do. I, I hit it a couple of um, times over a month with um, Interceptor. You know, for the uh, for the um, mm -hmm. parasitic copepods, red, red bugs, bug. red you know black bugs, what have you. Um, yeah. Should um, <laughs> should dipping for you know bad bacteria be a part of that routine now? Should we all be thinking? Oh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. For example, uh, dipping is so important, regardless where you buy your coral from. Regardless how trustworthy the, the seller is, you have to dip your coral. For a matter of fact, I dip all the coral before they go out. The well, you, you dip you no dip with bear, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, I dip with bear, and then after that is yes, uh, uh, iodine. Iodine. So that's that's a dip that yep. you could do okay. to prevent um, passing along bacteria. As, as, as much as right. possible. Uh, one important thing is that, uh, of course, that uh, I have a healthy tank. So if my tank infested with the with the bacterial balance is off, and then they're already showing a sign. So that's one important thing. But even that, uh, all the coral I I sow, they have to go through the dip before they go out. No exception. Even the guy said, I want to dip it myself. Or no, I dip it. What? Um, because I do not. Isn't that, that stressful, though, if you're dipping and then shipping? No, it's, it's not. not. No, no, it's not. Actually, it's better. Let me. Uh, well, uh, before that, I can tell you that I, I, I'm kind of a little bit of obsessive compulsive. <laughs> if I take a frag out from one tank before I put it into the, another system, I dip it. Otherwise, I cannot sleep <laughs> seriously. So it 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 made into a habit like this. If a coral get out of the water, it goes through a dip before it go back. And then um, uh, I also routinely dip all this coral. That's why. All these coral, they're all sitting on a on a, a, a pack and sitting on a rock. They are not glued down at all. So um, every month, every single piece of this coral goes through dips. That's why I spend my time on. That's why I don't go on vacation. <laughs> you're dipping corals all the time? <laughs> yeah, I dip in coral all the time. So you're only long. doing once yeah, a month? Seriously. No, actually, the, the reason for that is that I rotate in 
the uh, I did it one tank probably take me several days and then another tank and another tank and another tank and rotating. So it, it turns out to be a, approximately every month. Well, that, that, will that kill the eggs though? If you got acro eating flatworms, will that take out the eggs if you're only doing it once a month? Uh, the thing is that if I find that if a coral infested with acro eating flatworm, that coral go into the QT tank. The QT tank is dipped every, every week. week. And, and, and if you dip yeah. every week, yeah. you will break the cycle. Yes. But the good thing is that I do not get wild coral anymore for, for two years. I'm done You're with done that. with what? Oh, wild. I'm done, yeah, I'm yeah, done yeah. with wild import yeah. coral. Because that, uh, I read a study from Australia. Every single piece of uh, wild collect coral, every branch averaged two to three aqua oh, really? for aqua. Yeah. So dipping is very important. So, uh, and, and also <laughs> another thing is that Basically, I, I'm mostly growing this coral with uh, very little input or from a new coral comes in. And some people bring in some coral for trade. I inspect it throughout. And uh, here's the important thing. Aqua eating flatworm and the egg normally is at the base. Right. And the egg is actually on, on the skeleton. They're pretty the easy pump. to spot. They are not yeah. on the press. They're very easy, yeah. easy to spot. And it just chop off the, right. the base. No matter how encrusted it is, yeah. it's off. That's right. all off. And that's one thing. And also you really can see, very simple. And, and every coral coming in goes through the bear dip. The bear actually works very well. The bear, the, the, if you get an aqua eating flatworm infection, the bear can, you can tell. So if you see the aqua eating flatworm flying, uh, falling off, and then you look for the eggs. So, but if it, it doesn't have any uh, flatworm coming off, I still look at the base. So, um, the what's what's a good dip, um, <laughs> Dong, for um, making sure you don't bring in a bad bacteria? You know, what's a, what's a good dip to use for that? And can and and the follow up uh, question is, can you do the dips consecutively? So, let's say you do your bear dip, and then can you right after that do a dip for bacteria, uh, bad bacteria? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But here's the interesting thing I saw, uh, I observed on the bear dip. So the bear is this uh, milky white solution. So uh, the bear has two ingredients, two chemicals in it. The, these two chemicals all targeting the, the worm. One is a nerve agent, the other one is enzyme inhibitor. So what happened is that these two chemicals, they actually, the bear dip is meant to spray on the lawn uh, by water. But these two chemicals has a very poor solubility in water. So that's what this white milky thing in the, in, in the bottle is to disperse, the, the, to help the chemical to dissolve in the water. That, and this white stuff is absolutely inert. It's not, uh, it, it doesn't have any chemical reaction. But this white milk has one interesting property. It strips the bacterial film off the coral and off the plug. Or you can try it. You, 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 can, you can grab a, a coral with the plug you can feel the plug pretty slimy. And you go through the bare dip, you take it out, you can rub on the plug, and it becomes not slimy anymore because of this kind of a milky thing that strip the bacterial film off. That is actually an important thing. So because it does physically remove the layer of bacteria of this coral. That's, but that kind of removal is actually quite effective. Then you can, do a iodine dip. Iodine, iodine dip is pretty mild, and the bear iodine, and that is the common. But, uh, what are you using in terms of iodine? 
Uh, Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> just what kind of iodine yeah. are you looking for? Uh, they just uh, Amazon. Hold on, let me see. There's other uh, dips out there that have iodine in them, right? That you could use. They all the are same. They? No reason to spend any more money than this. It, it just Amazon brands iodine, ten percent, and also you can get them from uh, CVS. What's so, so what? What's the, just, uh, the ratio in terms of like how much do you oh, mix of that with the uh, tank water? Uh, it, it actually, you do not have to be have a particular ratio. You you get a cup uh, of tank water, you add this iodine there, make a light tea color solution. Oh, that's it. And yeah, now, that's uh, it. Because you add more, uh, it, it can be potentially if the color is too deep, it can potentially burn your coral. Uh, um, as long as it's a light tea color, that means you have excess iodine in, in the in how, the water. Um, and that's how long are you uh, dipping with the iodine? Five, five minutes. minutes. What about what about Four using Cipro or oxalic acid or witch hazel as a dip? Oh, witch hazel is quite different than the, the Cipro and oxalic acid. Witch hazel, probably five to ten minutes is maximum you can do about it. Seriously, I. I try many frags, aquapora frags on this. So uh, within 10 minutes of dip, the acro, nothing happened. Go back to the tank, polyp comes out. But more than 10 minutes, some of the acro, especially my $500 flow, mm. doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah. So no more than that. It becomes but a $5 flow. Yeah, become a uh, five cent, five cent flow. Well, uh, the good thing is that it didn't die. It, it takes a while to recover. That's the, the thing. So I, I, I think it probably because of the alcohol content in this. Yeah, that's what's yeah. causing it. Just a hypothesis. Um, but when you're doing the oxalic acid and Cipro, it's much better to do it in a QT tank. As a dip, probably is really not that effective because you need the exposure, exposure time to your frag. So doing a QT tank, and uh, I think that is a much more appropriate way to do it. So you so you oh, think so a simple yeah. uh, dip to prevent pathogenic bacteria is the iodine for five minutes and you're good to go? Oh, yeah. The, those are basically is right on kill. So uh, it, it, it physically, it just oxidizes the, 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 the poorer box and it's not going through any enzyme inhibitor or anything. There's no mechanism involved. Just go there and that's good um i learned something yeah, new every day i learned something new every day in this hobby but on this uh, live stream dong i've learned about uh, 30 new things and uh, but, but that's a important thing do not dip the coral in iodine for too long you will kill the five coral. minutes max yeah five minutes right, that's it. let's uh let's talk about another um thing that could potentially take down some corals and i was talking to chris meckley the other day about this and he was like ask dong about fungal infections on sps oh well, let's talk about fungal infections uh, that's another all, thing we need to worry about huh mm -hmm. actually unfortunately to understand marine fungal is really difficult thing so there is approximately only 0.1% of the marine fungi has been identified. And also the fung uh, fungal, inf uh, well, in SPS, a fungal infection is really hard to tell. I was going to ask you, what are, the, what are the signs of a fungal infection on SPS? Um, I don't know. Seriously, I don't know. It, it's really difficult to tell. But, but uh, the zoofungus is a much easier to tell. So when this fungus is more common, so that fungal infection. But that can be cured by the iodine. So uh, one of the uh, 
my opinion about fungal infection is that we do not have enough knowledge about it. And we shouldn't put antifungal reagent into the tank or using antifungal reagent as a thing. So you're, and you're talking, that's fluconazole, right? That's an antifungal uh, agent? Yes and no. But now here's the thing. Fluconazole for fish fungus is mostly for freshwater. And also that uh, some of the fungal infection for saltwater fish using fluco, uh, there are some examples there, but it's not extensive studied. I don't know. I don't know how, how, how fluco can actually affect fungal infection. But keep in mind that many drugs, they said it's antifungal, antibacterial. They're not exactly absolute. It's not absolute. It can just cross. It, it's, it sometimes you have both effect. Oh, just one better than the other is really difficult to tell. And then uh, one important thing I will against uh, uh, dropping uh, antifungal reagent in the tank is because that marine fungi is known to have a very important uh, uh, role to play in the uh, ecosystem. So basically, it's primarily responsible for decomposing. It's a carbon cycle. It's decomposing the carbohydrates, waste. Actually, Coral do die. <laughs> so they get old. Yes. I and thought, now that you have SPS, yeah. that the old one die, new one grow, that you can see seems to be forever. But also they not only uh, coral die, but also coral also excrete waste. They pee and poop. And now fungi is a very important uh, cleaner to decompose this, this material to complete the carbon cycle. So the marine fungi is very, very important. Despite that, we do not know exactly which fungal doing what, but as a collective effort, it's a very important part of the ecosystem. We shouldn't actually kill them without fully understanding what, what this so, and that So do. I would assume you're not a fan of hitting a tank with fluconazole to get rid of bryophytes. No. Uh, actually, no, I'm not. Because I've seen enough uh, horrible story about it. And the biosub's gone, and then after the problem. So basically, just like uh, uh, Richard Ross uh, he always said, uh, it's not worse the squeeze. So the, the outcome actually can be worse than the, than the treatment or something like that. So maybe the, the treatment is worse than the disease. Right. And because that when you hit the tank with Foucault, and then you the, uh, the whatever the... The, the best thing happening after that is, is, is a lot worse. I've seen so many cases and people actually give up the tank. And after hitting with fluconazole. Kind of, uh, yeah, right. And uh, another thing is that those kind of side effects does not show up immediately. They show up probably like weeks, months after the, the fluconazole treatment is gone. And right, especially right after people type on the internet and say, hey, fluconazole works, wonderful, everything left. And then after they type the message, hit the send, post on the Facebook, they go home, and the thing starts to turn back. <laughs> it's after the fact. <laughs> it's after the fact. And also, it's very slow. Uh, so that uh, I have seen people after treating the, the furco, and then it, it basically it just ruined the whole time. Um, so Chris from ACI is asking, I was thinking to try fluorine as a dip for fungus and bacteria. What are your thoughts on that, Dong? Foreign, yeah. Uh, I won't do it because it's very hard to control. Foreign uh, depends on what kind of foreign you you using sodium fluoride or you using foreign as an element, and that's very dangerous. 
And also, that's another thing is that uh, well, when this thing works well, and is proven to that's either that, it works well, proven to be safe. That'll work on that'll work on fungus this. too. Oh yeah, you will. It kills two fungus. Actually, for zoansis fungus, this is the really and, the and, good way. And way that's to go. Um, for LPS as well. You could use that as a yeah. Oh yeah. LPS. For LPS and the LPS anemone. So the uh, the iodine is actually pretty universal. Chris is talking about potassium fluoride. Oh, <laughs> Chris, you have to ask the potassium chloride. No, uh, <laughs> okay, potassium Jesus. fluoride. Oh, potassium yeah. fluoride. Uh, if it's too much, it's not good. And and also this another thing is that it's just not enough understanding. About about this thing. First of all, you have to identify if you really get a fungal infection. Yeah, how do you do that? That is, how do you do that? I'm how asking you. you. Is that well, that's yes. not easy? No, you. you okay. It's difficult. And also for zoansis, uh, a zoo fungus uh, is well known and well documented, easy to tell. But for acropora, I don't know. So I probably it is really difficult to tell. And then the important thing is that. Uh, Fungi do some of them do live inside SPS, and serve as important function inside. And killing them antifungal treatment, I probably just leave it alone until getting more understanding. Uh, because the iodine they treat whatever is outside, is a short period of dip, it wipe it out, and done. So and also you really you don't need to find out what exactly is a bacterial infection or is a fungi fungal infection. Give it a dip, done. And no, and no more, than, and no more than five minutes. I see some no somebody Brad is asking. Minutes. I thought iodine dips aren't good for acros, but uh, just don't do it for more than five minutes. Don't do more than five minutes. So within five minutes, no problem. And sometimes that uh, uh, what you want to do is that the concentration, it, if you look into the cup, it should look like a watered down cup of coffee and divided by two. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have any uh, you don't have any recommendations in terms of how to uh, how many drops of the iodine and uh... um actually there is a, a interesting thing you can follow is the secam rip secam rip rip dip so secam rip dip basically is this stuff and also oh, so well, they they have specific directions in terms of how to okay yeah they have so if you uh, follow the secam directions then you could use those directions for that generic iodine yes. dip. Sorry, CCAM. I don't yep, mean to exactly. like hurt your business yeah. there, but uh. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I think CCAM's uh, iodine is very affordable. The price is pretty good. Yeah, it, it is a good price. And then, um, uh, if you don't have Amazon Prime, why not just buy the CCAM iodine? Chris, Chris is saying. Um, Chris is saying. I know this, but it could be a great dip because potassium fluoride is toxic when elevated. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, fluoride is really. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and and actually, the, when we talk about fluoride, and then remember that we have a discussion about that uh, uh, U.S. water versus European water difference. Fluoride. Yes. So the U.S. water is treated treated with yeah. fluoride. So uh, many of saying that uh, the 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 people in Europe have the dose fluoride, we may not need to do that because the fluoride actually can pass through the uh, hobby grade RDI pretty easily. Right. So we probably already have sufficient amount of fluoride in our tank. Besides, our tea looks good. The coal looks good too. Yes. <laughs> um, so, all right, you. We've been talking about um, 
you know, dips in terms of uh, for aquarating flatworms, and 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 you are a fan of the Bayer dip. I, you know, I um, yes. I've switched off to the potassium chloride, and and um, I've had a lot of success using it. I, I know you um, you're not a fan of the uh, the potassium chloride, I, and, and you know, I guess I've 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 used that um, dip consecutively, you know, once a week for months on um, you know a whole frag tank once, and um, I lost like one acro, so. I would assume that if you're doing it um, at too high of a concentration or, um, you know, too long, then that it's a potentially, I guess, could be dangerous to the coral. And I think what you explained to me when we're um, talking offline was that, um, so the potassium chloride is effective because it removes all the water in the membranes of the, uh, the flatworms. It's just kind of, um, it's like a, um, um, it sucks out the water. Yeah, it can so suck out the water. But it can suck out the water of the, the corals, water, right? <laughs> right. But here's the thing: uh, the potassium dip there is uh, just for aqua eating flatworm alone. The potassium chloride has its usage, not at uh, this high concentration, but in a pretty low concentration, it actually works for removing aqua eating flatworm, but not killing them. So because that on the aqua eating flatworm. Actually, for many flatworms, on the surface, there's, there's a potassium recept, uh, receptor. What they do is that when they hit by excess amount of potassium, the flatworm just, ooh, just like have a spasm, something that kind of thing. So you lost its grip to the coral and falling down to the water. That actually is one of the potassium chloride initially uh, being this, uh, used for the treating flatworm. is because of this potassium channel on, on, on the flatworm itself. It does not kill the flatworm. That's the worst part. Because at this low concentration, it, it does make the flatworm fall off the coral, but it's not killing I've, I've seen the egg. I mean, you know, from my experience, and, you know, I, I use a certain concentration of it. I've, I've actually seen the flatworms disintegrate when I blow with a turkey baster. The, the flatworm will actually, like... Yeah, that, that is because I use a, a concentrated right. uh, enough right. of them. It basically suddenly you you, you uh, wrap the flatworm with this high concentrated potassium chloride and you immediately get zapped out of juice and then you disintegrate it. The beautiful so thing to watch. Dilute. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful thing to watch. But then the thing is that I I still prefer bear because that the coral has uh, less uh, less recovery. Time. The only thing the, the, so the thing that I don't like about bear though is it's milky white and you just can't see what's coming off the the uh, the coral. That's that's my complaint about bear. And also I think it's uh, it can be dangerous to you, right? No, no. It's Actually, not. I love the milky white. You, you thing do because the milky white thing is absolutely inert. It's just a, a, a some kind of formulation to suspend the two chemical in the water column. So that you can spray on the lawn, and that's what the milky thing does. And it's absolutely inert; it has no chemical effect whatsoever. But it does strip the bacterial film as a physical soap, because it, it is a soap. Uh, the milky wipe thing. That's why it's be able be able to strip the bacterial film of the coral and your frag club. <clears throat> so that is one. Uh, it has added benefit. So let me tell you one story about how. Actually, two story. Story number one. A friend of mine, several years ago, he was dipping his whole tank, all, all the coral. He's taking it out and put it in a big uh, Rubbermaid top. To dip dipping them. with bear? But he did it, yeah, yeah, with bear. He cannot see what's, they just put all the coral in there. And then uh, he did it at night. So he thought he took all the coral out and put it back to the tank. But he gets so tired, so he decided to go to sleep. Next morning, when he tried to empty out this bucket, 
There's an SPS colony, mm-hmm. agro colony, sitting Oops. at the bottom. Squeakily clean. Nothing happened. He put it back in the tank. Polyp comes out. Everything normal. Okay, story number one. Story number two happened to me. A guy bought me a rock with a Monte cap on top. That's at the noon time. I, I put the whole rock in the bear because the bear series is pretty safe. Okay, I just put it in the top, filled with bear. I went to lunch. I came back. I lift up the rock. I might as well drum out. The blenny just, <laughs> he was oh, hiding really? in the rock. The poor fish was two hours dipping in this Oof. solution. And he's still living in there after all this year. That's one that tough is... fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, that on, I think is the bear is very mild. Because that these two compounds in bear, they're not supposed to target uh, anything with a uh, uh, vertebrae. So you only target like the uh, invertebrate. Of course, that your shrimp going to be in danger. Um, that's why that uh, bear also can kill the red buck. So ever since I used bear, like it had been like 12 years, 10 years, something like that. I forget how many years. I never even see red buck anymore. Oh, so you don't need the, you, you don't do the interceptor. I, I never do the interceptor because I keep dipping them with bear. This kind of routine has been going on for a long for, time. For, for me, years. I can't even get bear because um, it's uh, hard to, I don't think you can get it through the mail these days. I don't think you can huh? get it like via Amazon or, or online. Oh, no, no, no. <coughs> uh, Amazon is always available oh, it is? for me. Yeah. I don't know. They're the, not the shipping to Vermont. Uh, for some reason, the bear is like uh, uh, banned oh, okay. in terms of my state. But <laughs> you can always yeah, come I can, I can just cross the border. Can, and Yeah, the physically <laughs> grab it, but I'm not going to ship it to you. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so that um, uh, actually... Uh, one thing what I found out is that bear actually is not available in Europe either. That's what I heard. That's why that you can see that in uh, in uh, some of the people from Europe and they are they basically don't have much option at all for dipping. So bear, I don't think it's legal to to use bear like this off label use. So in the states, we have a lot of freedom. Seriously about. <laughs> For example, that we can buy a fish antibiotic from Chewy now. So the thing is that try to imagine that happened in Europe. It doesn't happen. It, it, they don't have option, but we have the option. So I think, well, you don't have the option. Uh, I'm sticking. I'm sticking with the potassium <laughs> chloride. That works for me. But uh, I hear what you're saying. You know, it's um, it, it... so uh, if you stick with the potassium chloride, uh, give the uh, dilute potassium chloride a try. To see that, yeah, whatever uh, whatever the formula see. is that I've been using seems to work because it um, it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, like I said, I've, I've dipped hundreds of uh, you know frags in this stuff, and and um, I've lost one, you know, over the time that I've done that, and and so it seems to be pretty gentle in terms of the concentration that I'm using and, and the amount of time mm-hmm. that I'm dipping it for. So um, yeah, but uh, it's it's always good to have options in this hobby, right? What um, what's yes, done, and now you have these. Yes, what hazel. Um, but no more than five yeah. minutes. Um, so just quickly, uh, Dong, you know, we've been talking a lot about pests in terms of um, pathogenic bacteria and other kind of pests like acarine flatworms and bugs and all that stuff. What what would you uh, suggest if people can afford or have the space to set up a a coral coral quarantine tank? What uh, mm-hmm. what's a good setup for people to have a good basic setup? 
if if you don't have a, a option to set up a QT tank, just yeah. dip. Well, let's say let's say you do have the option to set up a quarantine uh, tank. What uh, what do you need for a coral quarantine tank? Uh, actually, there is uh, pretty simple stuff. A uh, coral actually is 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 much uh, is easier to quarantine than fish. Uh, for, for example, that um, uh, actually all you need just get several pieces of live rock, toss in into a tank, and get a nice power head. No, actually not nice power head. The 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 sixty dollar J bow from Amazon more than enough. A good heater that's yep. very important. A good heater. Never skim on a heater because the heater, the cheap heater, is not reliable. They can kill your whole thing. And um, of course you need a good yep. light. Basically, if you don't have uh, comparable light as your main tank, and you actually stress out the coral during the quarantine process, because that that is that can be really stressful for for coral if you if if I put a crappy light on it. So normally, uh, sometimes I see people have a nice tank, nice water flow, nice heater, and sometimes even have a sponge filter, a crappy LED yeah. on top. No, that's not yeah. good at all. So the light is very critical to coral. For example, that if you have a radion on your main display tank, you probably consider buying a used radion or a or AI or anything anything reliable, anything that is uh, known uh, well established brand, or uh, well like rebreather, inexpensive, excellent quality, those kind of thing. You have a good light, good flow. Uh, basically, is not much different than your main display tank, but you don't have a you don't need a sun, right. and yeah. yeah. And if you do an, an antibiotic treatment, all you need just a tank, uh, 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 several several pieces of rock. Actually, that uh, well, uh, let me get back to the rock later on. The rock is providing filtration. So the and the, the antibiotic you add to the tank is unlikely to wipe out the the uh, good bacteria on the rock for filtration. It's unlikely because that's way too much. And also another thing is that those uh, uh, denitrification bacteria they are on the rock surface. Right. Yep. And then you and the antibiotic it is try to uh, circulate in the water column, uh, and they hit a different location. That uh, they they basically hitting the coral, and of course that uh, your rock get hit by the, by those antibiotic, but the sheer amount of bacteria on those rocks, you just cannot kill them off, and also they reproduce quite rapidly. And most important. As coral, you got a negative bio load. It's negative bio load. You do the coral does not poop and pee ammonia right, as much right. as a fish. So it's a very sterile environment. I mean, like very, very. I mean, in my quarantine tank, I've got like you know practically zero nitrates and phosphates. Man, I, I don't test it too. Yeah, I don't exactly. test it too often. But how do you um, how do you overcome that? Oh, in a quarantine tank for zero yeah. phosphate and nitrate, at a quarantine tank at that moment, it doesn't really matter. For a zero phosphate and zero nitrate, because you are treating them in a medical environment, right. you're adding antibiotic to it, and then uh, many beneficial bacteria are going to die. So uh, this is just a temporary housing for your new coral, and it's not like a year or something, you, you, something like that. You run it for seven days, eight days, a six day, five day, that kind of thing. So it really doesn't matter for your uh, nitrate and phosphate. Is uh, uh, in this situation, is it doesn't count anymore. But it's important to keep your calcium, magnesium, and then uh, your alkalinity in yes. check. It does not have to be the same as your main display tank, as long as you f fall into the range. Alkalinity seven eleven, 
by the convenience store from seven <laughs> to eleven. Pick a number, and also any number you swing all day long, it makes zero difference. You can go from eight to nine, ten, and then go back to seven. Yeah, you, in several hours. Makes, you know what I no do? Difference. I and oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you know what, my my uh, coral quarantine uh, tank setup is. I got a twenty gallon tank, cheap uh, tank that uh -huh. I got from a local fish store, and I've got a good light on it. So I I use the GHL Mitras on my uh, Peninsula tank. So I've got a little GHL uh, Mitra instead of the uh, the LX seven two zero six. I got the seven two zero four or whatever. So it's like a little LED light, you know. That's a five star treatment. Yes, yes, only the best there, Don. Um, so I've got that going, and I got like a hang on the back filter, you know, with a couple of filter sponges, and I've got a little activated carbon mm -hmm. uh, thing in there that I use, and I've got a little nano skimmer, and and it's basically it's not skimming really, it's just providing the aeration, you know, to help keep the uh, the pH I think uh, elevated, and then um, got a heater, got a little uh, gyre pump in there, and I do. 50% water changes with established tank water, you know, um, every week to, um, to make sure that, um, you know, and I've got live rock in there as well. So, um, uh, I think, well, this looks wonderful. Basically you're putting your, uh, uh, coral in a five-star hotel for <laughs> <laughs> the QD stage. Uh, so what exactly the, 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 the active, how do you use the activated carbon? Because you would take the medicine right out. Oh yeah, no. When I, you know, so I, what I do is I'll, um, I'll pull the frags out and I'll dip them in uh, my potassium chloride dip. So I pull them out of the quarantine tank and I'll dip them. Everything, mm -hmm. everything goes out of that quarantine tank gets dipped. Then I hit it twice a month with um, the uh, interceptor and I pull the activated carbon when I do the uh, interceptor uh, treatments on that uh, quarantine tank. So that's that's my uh, methodology. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. So uh, are, are you doing the, the uh, antibiotic treatments the no, same I'm way? No, I'm not doing antibiotic treatments on that tank. But, um, yeah. Good. If you don't see that infection, yeah. don't do it. Yeah, but I will be doing <laughs> the uh, the iodine dips um, before I put frags into that tank because for five minutes it sounds yep. like it's a good idea to do that, add it to the protocol, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's a very good idea. And also that uh, the iodine dip is pretty mild. And you can do for most almost every coral you can do. And iodine dip actually has very effective on uh, euphilia. Um, so, uh, uh, torch and uh, hammer. One last question, Dong, before we wrap up. Uh, Adrian Fang is asking, what are Dong's thoughts on dosing the tank with hydrogen peroxide as a preventative against pathogens? I've been dosing every week 2 mLs per gallon for years and see no bad effects on the corals. Uh, how big is the tank? Yeah. Um, Adrian, if you could uh, provide that information, but what do you think about hydrogen peroxide as an in-tank, um, you know, thing overall, generally? Uh, hydrogen peroxide is very short-lived in 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 this because that we have so much uh, bacteria in a, in the water in the salt water. If you, for example, assuming the tank is uh, forty gallon, like a breeder, if you dose two mil of hydrogen peroxide in the tank, it basically does nothing. The that. Hydrogen peroxide will be immediately consumed in matter it's of a two hundred gallon tank. Uh that for for you probably absolutely nothing at all, no effect. Dosing you dose two, two mLs per problem. gallon. Yeah. Oh, two mL yeah. per gallon. That's a yeah. lot. And actually, uh, in that case, why not run an ozone? <laughs> 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 but first of all, the hydrogen peroxide just too short lived. And uh, that's one thing. But the good thing about hydrogen peroxide, it basically oxidizes a lot of waste uh, in the water column. It, uh, 
for antibacterial effect, not much. It's just because of the, 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 all the salt water, actually they're one of the, the seawater, they're the dirtiest water in the face of Earth. Somebody say that. Because there's so much uh, microbial activity, uh, life form in, the, in a mature reef tank. I think that two mil per gallon, that's a lot of hydrogen peroxide. And in that case, that you're basically doing similar to uh, adding ozone. So, uh, ozone it, strong um, stuff. This, yeah. And what it does is just oxidizer. The oxidizer just uh, uh, basically removes some of the oxidizer, some of the compound, especially lots of compound that actually, uh, well, that's a good benefit is that uh, many of these harmful organic compounds after they get oxidized become not harmful anymore. So potentially you're doing something like that by dosing hydrogen peroxide. But also that uh, it's very tricky about the dosage as well, because the excess uh, hydrogen peroxide, if they hit the coral, it can damage coral immediately. If the coral actually in contact with hydrogen peroxide, that's why I do not recommend people dipping the coral with hydrogen peroxide. Uh, why the people actually, uh, uh, some people will say, oh yeah, it's fine for dipping hydrogen peroxide uh, with my coral. Is the small amount of hydrogen peroxide, when they hit the water, the bucket of water you use for dip, it immediately gone. Immediately become oxygen and water. So you're doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> of course, the coral doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> and then, another thing, interesting thing is that um, people using hydrogen peroxide solution to remove algae with coral on it. So if you have a piece of live yeah. rock and then uh, you do not care about whatever living on the live rock, but it has hair algae, it dip it with hydrogen peroxide, fine, you kill the algae. But if that, you're dipping a coral with the hair algae or whatever algae with, with hydrogen peroxide, the hydrogen peroxide will kill the coral first. The coral has, <laughs> but probably both simultaneously, both your hair algae and your uh, coral will be damaged simultaneously. And sometimes the, your coral will, uh, will probably take weeks, days, months to die, but it will going down to this uh, slope that, so do not dip, your coral with hydrogen peroxide. It's too harsh. And uh, also that I won't recommend people dipping the coral with fresh water. Fresh water dip, if you do it for two seconds, probably fine. And if you forget about your, your piece of coral for then more than a minute or something, you're looking at a coral slowly die off after a gotcha. Um, yeah. one, one other question that just hit me, Dong, and um, I, I'm just wrapping back to the uh, conversation about fluconazole and in tank room for bryopsis. Mm -hmm. um, just one last question for you. Um, if you had bryopsis in a tank, how would you uh, go about getting rid of it? Pull. What's that? Go in there. Pull, and pull it out manually. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, manually. And uh, uh, use a bone cutter and gouge the rock. Just gouge it, uh, the rock, and remove it completely. Uh, if you just, just pull them out, whatever left there, uh, you probably is, is it is okay, it is it true that um, if you squeeze the bryopsis that you could potentially be releasing spores into the water that could no okay. no 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 actually that go back to the, the bubble algae the bubble algae uh mess about that you squeeze the bubble algae release tons of spore that is being debunked because that people actually look inside the water <clears throat> of the bubble algae it's pristine clean water <laughs> right i always was under the impression that you pop bubble algae that it's going to be uh, spreading all over the place but that's not true no it won't actually uh, the, for the biopsis there's a uh, uh, 
uh, another way to do it. For example, if you cannot really gouge the that patch out, uh, the rock, I mean, and you just pull it as much as possible and get a piece of reed putty yes. and cover that area, cover it, and after two weeks, remove the reed putty. And that yeah. works. Yep, I've heard yeah. that as well. All right, Don. Well, listen, man. This is uh, this has been very educational, as uh, as always. Just based on the comments here that I could see in the chat, people are really getting a lot out of this uh, conversation. We really uh, appreciate you coming on and and uh, sharing your knowledge with all of us. It's uh, it's certainly a very My enlightening uh, experience. <laughs> um, any final words there, Don, tonight before we uh, sign off? Uh, I think the important thing is that uh, if a coral gets sick treat just that coral and do not change any global parameter and try to avoid do a, a broadcasting treatment for everybody. And also <laughs> another important thing is that as a reef hobbyist, you're going to have that coral, <laughs> guarantee. The longer you are in this hobby, and this actually you can use and use them as a trophy. The more that coral you have, that means you have more experience. <laughs> <laughs> and do not get upset. If it happens. It, nature has, it, it happens. it happens to the best of us. It's part yeah. of the deal. Yeah. It's no no avoid yep, no avoiding it. So, um, like I said at the <laughs> yep. beginning, if uh, if you folks are ever in the Boston area, just uh, check out uh, Dong's place. You'll. Uh, You'll be very glad that you did visit him and you can reach out to him via the Boston Reefer Society. He's got a forum on there and um, that way you can connect with uh, with Dong. So, um, yeah, a again, thanks, Dong, for uh, for being on the live stream. And I also want to thank um, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for being sponsors of the show and supporting this live stream. And also want to thank all you folks out there for tuning in and watching and uh, appreciate the super chats. Finally, a big thank you to Paul, who is the moderator and is the president of the Boston Reefer Society. Thank you, Paul. And um, thank yes, you, Paul. please uh, join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to the hobby. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be like right in the area where the reefing club is. I mean, anybody can join Boston Reefer Society around the country. Yes. I'm a part of Boston Reefer Society. I'm a, I'm a sponsor. I mean, I'm three and a, you know three hours away. I'm in the Northeast, so I guess it's my closest club, but uh, you could be in uh, Montana if you want, or California and be a part of Boston Reef Society, or you could join your uh, your local club, but uh, just join a club. That's uh, that's my best advice. It's going to be very educational. I meet a lot of awesome um, people. So uh, I also want to let folks all know that all, all episodes of Wrapping with Reef Bumble are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Wrapping with Reef Bum live stream will be Next Thursday, February 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, my guest will be Jason Fox from Jason Fox Signature Corals. I've got uh, Evan Montgomery from Reef Builders uh, coming on the week after that. I've got Than from Tidal Gardens will be on uh, the week after that. So if you want to check out the full, I've got, I've got uh, just booked Julian Sprung and, and Charles Delbeek to be on. So i uh, got some great guests. You can check out the full schedule on reefbum.com under the YouTube section. So until then... Be safe and be well, and we will see you next time.